you know, when you take this trip, when you take this walk, you feel at your weakest, but I think you're at your most brave uh, when you when you take your first steps on the Camino. Welcome to Living to Be with your host, Reno Gevers, a podcast aimed to inspire you in becoming your authentic self. Life can be a topsy-turvy world of ups and downs as you deal with health, spiritual growth, and self-development issues. But from the day you were born, you are meant to become who you really are and to live your destiny. Kelly Field and her daughter walked the 800-kilometer Camino de Santiago pilgrimage route in northwestern Spain in 2017. The adventure was transformational. With her husband, Jeff, moving to Spain was the next logical step. Her debut novel, The Grief of Goodbye, set on the Camino, was recently published. It is an emotionally charged tale of love, sacrifice, and redemption. Another project is the Happiness Cafe on the Camino, which Kelly and Jeff set up to serve pilgrims on the Camino, with a sustainable experience including flexitarian, vegetarian, and gluten-free foods with allergen sensitivities in mind. Kelly also writes a popular blog, Viva España, moving to Spain with purpose, sharing her experience on living in Spain, which she says wasn't all that easy. <laughs> uh, Kelly, uh, welcome to the show. And let's take a, take us back to where it all started when you decided to walk the Camino for the first time in 2017. What made you walk the Camino? Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I'm excited to be here. Oh, gosh. Well, I let we'll go back even further 20 some years when I read Paolo Coelho's book, um, Pilgrimage. And I, I sort of always had that, you know, I love his books, The Alchemist and, and all that. And I had it kind of in the back of my mind. And then in 20, uh, Christmas of 2016, and over New Year's, uh, we had gone from our home in the US and gone to visit friends in Paris and, and in London. And we were in a hotel in Paris on New Year's Eve on 2016. And I started crying and I said, I can't go back and do what, I can't go back to that job. I can't go back and do what I, I can't wake up every day and, and get out of bed and go do that anymore. I, and I was, the bigger breadwinner of the two of us. And, and so um, that was a terrifying thing to say out loud, but I couldn't do it anymore. And so I went back to the U S my husband said, quit your job and we'll figure it out. And which sounded like madness to me, but I went back that next Monday and I quit my job and I had no idea what I was going to do. And he said, um, so you should go take that walk in Spain that you always wanted to do. And I said, yeah, that's what I'll do because I had no idea what I was going to do. I had this big corporate job and, and I had, I had followed this formula my entire life of, you know, you're always striving and you're trying to get the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And, and, and you sacrifice yourself in the process. Um, and I had never really stopped and asked myself 
the question of what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, I'd never done that. And so I, that was, this was in January, I'd quit my job and, um, and then, so then I started focusing on like, how would I even go and do that? And I'd never hiked. I'd never carried a backpack. I didn't even have a clue what to do. And, um, so I went online obviously. And, you know, the great thing about the internet is that it tells you everything. The terrible thing about the internet is it tells you everything. And so you're, you know, you're muddled and afraid and you don't even know what to worry about. So you worry about your gear. And, uh, my daughter said to me, I'll go with you. And I thought that sounds wonderful. <laughs> I was so afraid uh, to do this by myself, but I was going to do it by myself. Um, and, uh, so we did it. We, we, when she got out of school, we just got on an airplane and we came here and we started walking and we had no clue. Truthfully, I didn't know why I was walking. People would ask me, why, why are you walking? And I, I didn't have an answer. Um, that didn't come until, until I, I got to Santiago and then I understood why I had done it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's quite, <laughs> quite amazing because so, so many people, um, I've, I've spoken to who've walked uh, the Camino and I, I can say that for myself as well. Uh, the answer often comes weeks, sometimes months after walking, uh, mm. the, the path, uh, the Camino has its own time. But uh, yes. now walking with your daughter obviously had a special dynamic. I've seen yes. mothers and daughters walk. I've seen uh, grandfathers and and uh, uh, grandchild walking. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I've seen it being very harmonious, but I've also seen <laughs> <laughs> uh, quite a bit of conflict erupting. Yes. What was yeah, it like? Well you know, um, well, I'm going to be really transparent with you, which I have never actually done on any of these podcasts. I've mostly glossed over this, but I will tell you the, the story. So my daughter's adopted. Um, we, we fostered her from the time she was four until she was six. And then we adopted her. And while we were walking on the Camino, she of course had a cell phone with all of her apps. Um, he found her birth mother while we were walking. And so she was speaking to the birth mother. And then because she found the birth mother, there were siblings that she found. So they were all talking to each other, but I had no idea that this was going on. And she was, she was leaving every day and walking far ahead of me and obviously speaking to them and having conversations. But I had no idea that that was what she was doing. She wasn't talking to me. And so it, it took all the way into Astorga before we finally had, you know, what my grandmother would call a Donnybrook, where I said, I have been walking with you for three and a half weeks. And I, and you don't talk to me. You don't, we don't have any conversations. We don't. And we, it all came out that she had found her mother and she was afraid to tell me and she was afraid of what it would all mean. So the Camino was even more than just a transformation for me, it was a transformation for her. But in uh, almost in in this weird parallel way, um, and it, and we had that we had a serious conversation in the Storga, and then after that we walked together. Wow! So, yeah, yeah, amazing. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. That the path is so much a walk into authenticity. 
yes. all the all the masks fall away and uh, mm -hmm. such a lot of people I've met have gone through a serious illness have lost a loved one have tried to solve a relationship conflict or have gone through a divorce or uh, like in your case uh, or at the um, cusp of of choosing a new job a new uh, calling and don't know where where it's going exactly I, I think I think that the Camino uh, especially if you do a long walk I think it strips you down to the essence of who you are and it and it in such a way that you can't look away anymore that I'm sure I think back on my life and there were so many places where I had these opportunities where I could have seen and I looked away and when you walk for five weeks in the hot Spanish sun you can't look away and it's and in the end the things you were most afraid of seeing are the most beautiful parts of yourself yes indeed yeah yeah uh, yeah, and it's 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 often at this moment of brokenness that that uh, the universe kind of whispers to you and tells you who you are because yes. uh, being in the rat race, of course, you don't hear what the universe is trying to tell you. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then uh, suddenly you realize, well, you've got so many years, perhaps until you die, and yes. what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Yeah, and I think it's so interesting because. I, you know, my whole, I had worked in luxury fashion. That was my job. And I was head of innovation in this innovation lab at this large luxury retailer in the U S and I had never worn clothes like I wore on the Camino. I had never, they were not attractive. They were not, they didn't have labels on them. They were nothing. And I had never gone that long with, you know, washing my hair with hand soap and, you know, the things that I, that you do when you're on the Camino. And, and I remember standing in a mirror, oh, golly, it was probably, it was probably around where I live now, like Palace de Rey Malide. And I looked and I, I took a shower and I, I wiped the mirror for the, and I had, I realized I had not looked in a mirror in more than four weeks at that point. I mean, I, I don't even know how I escaped that, but I didn't, I hadn't. And I looked in the mirror and I, and I remember saying, I remember you, you know, it was like myself. Like I was, I was actually myself. It was the oddest feeling. Yeah. 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 They're really amazing. And out of uh, that experience, of course, uh, you changed your whole life. You moved to Spain. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> left the yes. US that's quite a big step yes um I went home and I told my husband we should move to Spain and he said I've never seen you so happy and and yes he'd never been here and so we sold everything we sold our house we sold cars we got rid of everything and we landed in Valencia on a rainy March night with four suitcases and he had never been to Spain so he was giving up everything because he knew it had meant to me and he he knew he knew how far I had come from that night in Paris to to when I stepped off the plane from from walking the Camino 
So, but we had no idea what we were going to do. Um, we had no idea what path our life was going to take. We just sort of, we, we knew we were all in, but all in for what, I think was the question. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, then, then you started writing your book, which um, is titled The Grief of Goodbye. Yes. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, uh, this book and why you wrote it. Well, I, I started writing it in my head um, while walking. Um, I certainly met people, as you said um, before, that, you know, had terminal illnesses or had recovered from a, a serious illness um, or were, you know, at midlife in a crisis, you know, I, I want to midlife crisis sounds so trite. It's more like this, uh, you know, profound crossroads in your life, right? You have all this wisdom and experience from the time that you've lived. And as you said, you know how much time you have roughly ahead and, and you realize the value now that you didn't realize before. So it's, it, it isn't, it sounds like it's some sort of existential type of thing that, you know, people fall apart or whatever, but I think it's a, a serious gift. Um, and so, um, so I, 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 I was experiencing that, but I also met so many other people who were experiencing other things. And so as I was walking, I was sort of imagining this character, which is Tess, the, the woman who's walking it and, and people say, well, it's very much like you. And I said, well, you know, you write what, you know, but she's absolutely not me. Um, and relationship that this difficult relationship that she has with her daughter and how she you know is willing to sacrifice everything to try to find a way um to to kind of break generational trauma is really the story um and you know i i really wanted to kind of explore themes familial familial forms of um grief I thought that was really important. Um, and I, I look at this story and I think um, it's really a story about bravery, you know, the bravery tests the main character, the, her bravery, her daughter's bravery, her husband's bravery and allowing them to go without, you know, tying them to, you know, somewhere in the house to keep them from taking this trek. And then also, you know, the bravery of the folks that they meet along the way. I feel like, um, you know, when you take this trip, when you take this walk, um, you feel at your weakest, but I think you're at your most brave uh, when you when you take your first steps on the Camino. And that's really what this book is all about. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting that you have these, uh, these three parts of it, because uh, a lot of pilgrims, of course, describe the Camino as... Uh, First part, starting from Jean-Jean-Pierre-de-Port Jean up the Pyrenees, the path of crucifixion. Yes. <laughs> then, then you go through the Valley of Death, the Meseta, yes. and then you go through the Resurrection, where it yes. all becomes so easy. It opens up and you, your, your walk becomes easy, and you suddenly realize why you're on the path. Yes, yes. And I, I think, you know, I called the first week the Trail of Tears. Um, because I cried every single day. I cried because I was in pain. I cried because I was in physical pain, emotional pain. I cried because of uncertainty. Like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this? 
And I, 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 I don't disagree. I think, I think that the Camino and in it, and I, you know, it, you'll read about it in the book as well. I think the Camino is about not only us finding ourselves, but find learning how to find each other um, and how to rely on each other, how to create community again. I think in so many ways, you know, we Western society for sure, we've, we've lost that ability to create community and to see other people, we see other people almost in, as caricatures as opposed to real people. And, and I, you know, I live on the Camino, so I see pilgrims every day, especially with the food truck. And I see, you know, old men walking with a, a with a, a young man. And I see children walking with, you know, older people and people are, it, their Camino families aren't just a bunch of teenagers walking together, a bunch of 40 somethings walking together. They're, they're a reflection of, of a community, you know, age wise and demographic wise. And, and I love that. So that's, that's what this, that's in the, in this book, it, I try to reflect that as well. Yeah. 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 Uh, tell us a bit about this project um, uh, with the happiness cafe pr uh, project yeah. uh, on the Camino. Uh, mm -hmm. Not far from Santiago de Compostela, as mm -hmm. you just mentioned, meeting a lot of pilgrims every day. Yeah. Uh, what what made you uh, actually uh, live right on the Camino? <laughs> well, I mean, we had come up um, right before the pandemic hit um, and we all went into true lockdown in Spain. I think, you know, we weren't allowed to leave our houses. So. Um, before that we had, we'd come up to Galicia. My husband really loved it up here. We'd walk to Camino and he said, Galicia is for me. This is where we need to be. And we looked at some real estate and looked at some things. And, and then we said, we'll go home for Christmas and we'll come back and then we'll, we'll make some decisions. And we went home for Christmas and came back and then COVID hit. So we stayed, you know, we stayed, uh, in, in, Valencia for as long as we needed to stay. And then when they opened everything up, we drove, we made a beeline um, and we drove up to uh, Galicia. And, and like I said, we, we just, he said, let's just take a walk for a day. And we'd been looking at homes on the coast, you know, to be on the sea, have a beautiful view, have a beach. And we saw this farm and, and he said, that's it. So, uh, so we, that's what we did. We bought it. Um, but not with a really a sense to, we really wanted the green space. We'd been locked inside. We were so excited. We were going to plant lavender. We do, we do farm lavender here. So um, it's lovely. But that first summer in 2021, um, they closed all the albergues, uh, especially the private albergues down to 30%. And people were sleeping on the street. People, the Camino had opened July 1st and people came back. And I don't think they, they understood what, I don't think the people coming understood what that would mean. And I don't think the government understood that they were going to have nowhere to put these people. And so I read it in the newspaper that they were, um, people were sleeping on the street. And I told my husband, you know, we need to do something. So we went to decathlon and bought a bunch of tents and stuck them in the yard. And, and I put a sign on the gate and I said, if you don't have a place to sleep, knock on the door and people came and, and I cooked and we did it all for free. So we fed people, people slept in tents and we uh, had the best summer of our lives. And I said, we should do something. We have to do something with this. This is a sign. 
So I walked a winter Camino in 2022 and then came home and ordered a food truck. And we went to Barcelona and picked it up and stuck it by the gate. And I made gluten-free and vegetarian. That's what we'd heard from all the people that stayed here. Do you have vegetarian? Do you have anything gluten-free? And I'm gluten-free. So I said, absolutely. And uh, that's what I make is vegetarian and gluten-free food. And, And people love it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what, what is really missing on the Camino? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, so so yeah. you, you're really giving back to the Camino then. Um, tell us a bit about uh, the demographics on the Camino that you are, you are observing. When I first mm-hmm. walked in 2006, uh, it was an entirely different group of pilgrims. They were mostly uh, well over the age of 50, a lot of mm-hmm. them retirees, pensioners. Yeah. And what I'm seeing, a lot more younger people. It's mm-hmm. becoming a lot more diverse. Is mm-hmm. that your observation as well? I would say absolutely. I know that the schools in Spain bus people up here and they they walk the Camino as part of their curriculum in school. So that happens, you know, especially the Saria to Santiago stretch. So that happens, um, I, I'm going to say anywhere between like, say, 12 years old and maybe high school graduation. Um, and I know that on resumes here, people put that they have their Compostela and the year that they got it. So it's it's a it's a big thing for Spaniards here and absolutely a younger demographic um, is walking. And even during the school year, we'll see groups of kids um, and with their whole class walking the Camino. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, I, I think it's an interesting thing. I, I think that there's some lamenting of how the Camino has changed over time and especially this stretch, star, sorry, to Santiago. Um, but I'll tell you, there's just nothing more beautiful than being out, you know, and throwing the ball for the dog and you see a whole group of kids go by and they're all singing and they're singing a beautiful song. Uh, uh, we had a whole group of, of uh, French kids go by the other day and they were all singing this beautiful song. And I thought, that's the Camino. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do, you, do you have time to uh, converse, to talk to people uh, when, when you're serving food? Obviously, they will. some of them will tell you why they are walking the Camino and what's happened yes. to them on the Camino. Is there a special... Um, uh, story that springs to mind that uh, is particularly insightful? You know, I had a a person last, um, yes, I I get to talk to people. Um, Obviously, they're busy, busy times. But then as the day goes by, as the stretches out, you know, the, the, the crowds thin out. And I often will get folks coming a little bit later. Um, you know, they'll come at 11 or 12, which for, for this part of the Camino is late. Um, if you're, if you're walking through here at 11 or 12, um, you're hopefully just going to Melide because you have another hour to walk before you can get a bed. And I had a, I had a woman who came and, uh, and she was, she just stood at the, we have a bench that sits outside the gate. Cause I like people to be able to sit down. They don't have to come in and, and, and buy food. They, if they need to rest, they are welcome to just sit on the bench. They, frankly, they could come sit down at a table. I don't care, but, but I want them to feel comfortable. And she'd sat down and I was doing something near the gate. And I said, hello to her. And she said, hello. And she's American. And Americans are always shocked when they hear an American, hear American English and they always come in. And so she came in and she said, I'll, I'll get a nice tea from you. Get a nice serve iced tea, which is really an American thing. 
And so she sat down and, uh, and I asked her, you know, I, I usually ask people where they started and how, how it's going and all of that. And then they start to talk. And, uh, she had the most incredible story and she was one of the most positive people I have ever met in my life. She had, she, she'd come to walk the Camino after going to Poland to find her father's family. Um, and she'd only, she'd only had any contact with him from when she was a small child because he, um, he was in prison. And so she wanted to go to Poland and find out why he was the way he was and how he became the man that he became. And she told me this whole, the whole story. And it was a story that would absolutely break your heart. Um, a story that as a child had landed her in the hospital for a year and she'd lost everything. And she'd been adopted out after that. And her father had caused that she'd been adopted out to another family. And she, uh, eventually became a psychologist and a professor to try to really understand. She said, my whole goal in life, um, my adopted family really helped me with this was to learn gratitude and forgiveness. And she said, I, I wanted to understand how to go about doing that. And she said, this Camino was the culmination of, of that, her life's work of gratitude and forgiveness and of helping other people learn gratitude and forgiveness. And I was just, I was absolutely just in tears by the end of her whole, you know, the whole story that she had told me and she pulled out her piece of paper and she needed, um, she found out that she was actually staying back in Palestine. She'd gone too far. And I said, if you wait, I'll give you a ride back. And so I did, I gave her a ride back to her albergue. And, uh, and we, I hugged her and said goodbye. And the next day um, we were closed and I went out to the gate about noon and she had left a note on the gate and thanking me for, for you know, the conversation that we'd had. And that happened to me. I, I, she was, she was a, that was a profound conversation, but those kinds of things happen to me every day. And I have a big basket full of notes and talismans and cards and things that people leave all the time. And it, and it is such, you know, when we're closed in the winter, it's such a blessing to go through those and remember each one of those people, because I will never forget them. Yes. Um, yeah. the, the, these are really exceptional people who walk the Camino. Uh, it's, it's not only just a path. It's, it's the, the amazing people you meet on this path. Isn't yes. that one, isn't that really, as you say, magic? It, it is magic. It's like, it is such a gift. I, I don't know how in the world I am so lucky to live in this place. People say, oh, you have to deal with pilgrims and you have to da, 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 da. I'm like, no, it is a river of positivity. If you ever want to uh, plug in to, to just absolutely the essence of, of, positive energy you can come stand at my gate and stamp people's passports and you will you will be in tears more than once that day yeah mm. yes <laughs> <laughs> yes so many people have this on their bucket list to walk the camino and they mm -hmm. postpone they postpone i want to walk it someday 
um, maybe yeah. next year they postpone again. Yeah. What message would you give uh, people who have the Camino on their bucket list? Oh, find a way, find a way. And, and I think that whatever it is that you're afraid of is not what you will find on the Camino. Um, what you will find on the Camino is, is all the things that you don't even know that you need. Uh-huh. And they're waiting here. They're just waiting here for you. So that's what I would, that's what I would say. And now the critics say, well, the Camino is becoming so over, overpopulated. It's become commercialized. Uh, there's ten thousands of people walking it. And I met one guy <laughs> in Santiago who said, well, I didn't experience anything dramatic. It was just like a normal hike. But uh, <laughs> just yeah. these people, some weeks, months later, uh, have that um, deep experience. Yeah. Yeah, I met a guy in in uh, Ladigos uh, before Sagun, and he had walked from Strasbourg. Uh huh. I mean that far, and he. I said, "What have you learned so far?" Because I felt like I barely walked compared to him, and he said, "I've learned nothing." And I thought, "Oh my goodness!" Like it had. I had already had such profound. I don't. I don't. I don't want to call it transformation, but just this profound. Uh, uh, moments on the Camino before, you know, myself on those three weeks or whatever before that. And I was shocked that you could walk from Strasbourg and, and feel nothing. Yeah. I, I, I felt sorry for him. I, I know the Camino has changed. I totally get that. But I think you, you get, everyone says this, the Camino gives you what you need and you can get it in a crowd on a path. If, if you, that's what you need. So I had a, I had a girl last year from, she'd walked from Belgium and uh, all the long haulers that come, they're always quiet. You can tell. And I, I approach them in a different way than the folks that have maybe walked a shorter Camino because they're, they're in a little bit of a different headspace. And so, and usually they stay longer. They're, they're re re ready to have the, the group go ahead. They want to have that quiet time. And I said to her, um, she was sitting there eating a waffle. I'll never forget. She was so happy because she hadn't had waffles since, since she was, since she was at home. And she said, um, I said, how do you feel now? Because you're getting close to Santiago and you know, from Saria, it's been crazy, huh? And she said, it's okay because it's teaching me how to get back into my life. She said, that's, that's what the stretch is for is it's reintegrating you back to going home. And I thought, what a positive thing. She said, you can't walk by yourself for, for your, the rest of your life. And I was like, that's true. So I, I think that's, that's what Sorry de Santiago was about. It's for, especially for a long hauler person, it's, it's reminding you that you, you want to, when you go home, you need to take the spirit that you have back with you. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, such such a nice explanation because uh, I've done the Primitivo several times. I've done the Aragonés, and when mm -hmm. you reach that last bit from Saria, of course, it's quite a shock uh, yes. meeting meeting these massive crowds of people, and uh, that's why I think some people just continue walking to Finisterre. Uh, yes, uh, just to get back into that space of 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 uh, um, solitude and yes. to prepare themselves for. 
uh, coming back home. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't disagree. You know, I walked in winter last year and I was shocked because, well, first of all, it was a very small crowd of folks that had, that were walking together. We were all sort of taking care of each other because there was no one else in the Meseta and, and it was, you know, snowing and it was cold. And I thought when I get to um, Saria, it will not be, it won't be crowded because of this time of year. And it was, and it, and it is a shock because you're, you're, you're in such a different space and these folks are on fresh legs and it's just a, you're, you're having, you're walking in parallel, but you're not walking together like you were before. Yeah. 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 Well, we share a similarity in that uh, um, I, I also moved to Spain some five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have a blog about uh, living in Spain. Mm -hmm. um, give us some of the, the pros and cons that you've experienced. <laughs> <laughs> The pros and cons. Well, um, I think the pro is that, you know, when I moved here, I still had that sort of Americanism, right? That we're just like, I need to get this done and I need to get this done. I need to get this. I've got a list and I need, everybody needs to get out of my way because I need to get this done. And, and, you know, that was sort of how I was successful in my career, yada, yada. And everywhere I went in Spain uh, for two years, people said, tranquila. Tranquila, tranquila. And I got so tired of hearing tranquila. I was like, if one more, the gross, the woman at the grocery store would tell me that. I'm like, am I hitting the buttons too quickly? What am I doing? So, um, but finally tranquila worked on me. And now I, you know, and you, and you need that. You need, you need the culture to slow you down. You need the beauty of living in this place is not running through it. It's being in it. And so that that's the, that's the benefit. I think one of the biggest pros for me personally, um, a con is certainly the Spanish bureaucracy, but even the Spaniards will tell you that the Spanish bureaucracy <laughs> is an art form. Um, so that's been a huge challenge uh, for me, but it's also kind of a red cape to a bowl. Because if you tell me I can't do something, I will find a way. And so um, in some ways I get to, I get to exercise my type A personality muscle on Spanish bureaucracy. So that even though it's a negative, it's a positive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and yet it's, it's so different. Uh, I mean, I've been to the States uh, plenty of times um, and uh, I lived in Germany for many years uh, mm -hmm. It is a different world here, um, as you say, <laughs> tranquila. And what I had to get used to is people not not coming on time. <laughs> I no. was so used to people coming on time if you make an appointment, but it's tranquila. You wait 15, 20 minutes before someone, the person you 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 made the appointment with actually arrives. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and, and if the appointment is after lunch, you might wait longer exactly <laughs> yes and so and i'm very much like if you if you and i have an appointment i i will be there five ten minutes before that's how i'm wired and so um i've had to change my expectation um of other people and also kind of your value judgment like that's not it's it's cultural it's not a personal failing on their part Right. It's in the US that would be considered a, if you're late, you know, perpetually late to things. That's a that's a personality flaw. Here it's not. 
it's just, it's just how the time runs. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, I find um, the, the sense of community is far more profound, especially in the smaller villages. Uh, yes, I, yes. <laughs> when we moved here, our, tr our moving trucks pulled away which in and of itself is a strange thing because typically we didn't know this, but typically when you sell your house, you sell it with everything in it. So we, we didn't, we rented an apartment in Valencia. We put everything in a moving truck and moved it here. Our moving truck pulls up, we open the doors and the house is filled with furniture. And we were like, the guys in the movie truck were like, what are you going to do with all this stuff? And we were, we were like, we have no idea. Like how is someone else's stuff in our house? That's, doesn't happen in the US. Our neighbor came over and she said, what are you going to do with all of this furniture? And I said, we don't know. And she said, I'll take it. And so all of a sudden a whole group of people came with trucks and vans and they strangers and they unloaded our whole house. And then she showed up with a wheelbarrow full of vegetables from her vegetable garden and welcomed us to the neighborhood. So you're right. The sense of community here is absolutely the one of the superpowers of of living here it's it we we would not have survived living in rural galicia without this community yeah 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 amazing um yeah. kelly one uh last message for our listeners uh obviously um quite a few people listening to the show have a, a, a camino experience <laughs> uh, um what uh, what would you tell them after um, now living on the Camino for, for yeah. a while? Yeah. What would I tell them about, about what it's like to live on the Camino or just, mm -hmm. yeah? I would say it's absolutely uh, a blessing. Um, even on the most difficult days of driving my car down our little lane that is absolutely packed wall to wall with pilgrims it still makes me smile because everyone here that when they're walking they're they're transforming themselves and the luck that that i have to live in a place amongst people that are transforming themselves is priceless yeah uh, now what i'll do is i'll put your book in the show notes below uh, okay. and and the link to your podcast is there any other way people can connect with you uh really through the through the blog i think is probably the easiest way to do that um the viva spania moving to spain blog um yeah that's that's probably the easiest way to connect with me and and uh obviously on i'm on facebook so yeah kelly fields katie field on facebook they can connect yeah. with me yeah, yeah. Yes, Kaylee, I want to really acknowledge you for giving back so much to the Camino and helping the pilgrims on the path and uh, um, wish you Buen Camino and hope to, <laughs> hope to see you on the Camino sometime. Thank you I for being on the you. show. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Living to Be with Reino Gevers, a podcast aimed to inspire you in becoming your authentic self.